So there's this one time in the Bible, okay? And basically, if you know or not, but God's people, man, in the Old Testament, they were just a mess. They, they always kept on, every time they would get close to God, then they would walk far away from God. <clears throat> and God would punish them. What he'd do is he'd kind of give them over to their enemies. And their enemies would have control and <clears throat> basically would rule over them for a long time because they, would, they just kept on never, ever just listening and actually doing what God would want. So there's the same story that happens. It actually took place back in around 1200 B.C., which a little while ago, obviously. And uh, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were handed over to the Philistines. And the Philistines were kind of the bad guys. So if you can remember for the story here, those from Philly, bad, tough guys. The Philistines, okay? Tough guys. Anyways, but they're handed over to them. And what God would do is he'd send these, these judges, and they would show up, and they would kind of like, reclaim faith, and they tell the people, listen, you know, we're not supposed to be like this, and these, these judges would show up, and there's actually a whole book written called Judges, where this, a guy would show up, or a woman even sometimes would show up, and rekindle the faith, and they'd all come back, and they'd come back to faith, and, and the same story happens um, in what I'm going to talk about today. There's this guy, and his name's Manoah, which is a pretty interesting name, and the story is of him and his wife, and they're from an area called Zora. Now, not Zoro, Zora. And for you guys who are hardcore gamers, no, they are not aquatic people from the land of Hyrule in Zelda. Huh? Gamers out there? Thank you. Yeah, they're from Zora as well. But there's an H on the end of this one, so it's, it's completely different. But anyways, his wife is sterile. No possibility of having a kid. And in fact, she's pretty old. But this angel of God comes in and meets with her, and he tells her, you're going to have a son. And she's shocked, obviously. She says, I'm an old woman. I'm sterile. I can't have kids. He says, you're going to have a son. And he says, not only that, but he's going to be a very, very special son. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Almost to a story we hear later on in the New Testament. But he says, when you have this kid, you're going to have to stop right now. If you're drinking any wine or anything from, from the grapes, you can't because your son is going to be born. He's going to be what they call a Nazarite. Well, that's an interesting term. But back in the day, there were these people called Nazarites. And what they were is they would, they would willingly sacrifice and, and set aside things like they would eat nothing that comes from the vine, so no grapes, no wine, nothing like that. They would not cut their hair on their, on their, from their face up, so they'd beard, long hair. And also, they would never go around anything that was, that was dead because, if you guys remember right, death was never God's plan. That was something that came into this world because of sin. And these Nazarites couldn't go near anything that was dead. And what they would do is they would do this on purpose to show a picture to the rest of the community what it meant, what kind of sacrifice and dedication it takes to really be um, a believer and follow God. And he says, this boy that's in your womb, he's, he's going to be a Nazarite from day one. He says, from day one, you're never going to shave his hair. He's never going to drink any wine, anything from there. He says, don't let him go near any dead, dead people. He says, he's going to be a Nazarite. Nazarite actually comes from the word Nazar, which means to set apart. So this boy, he says, he's set apart for something special. Well, a woman goes and tells her husband, and Manoah, of course, is like, really? Seriously? So he prays, and he says, you know, if this is real, God, he says, I need you to send this angel again, because my wife says this, but how in the world do I know? So the angel comes again, and he meets with him and talks to him. And as they're talking, he talks all these things about, you know, he's going to be a Nazarite, he's going to be special, and Manoah starts to believe it. And he says, you know, let me cook you dinner. And the guy says, you don't understand, okay, I don't need, I don't need dinner. He says, I'm an angel, so he says, you can burn something up for God. And I love this, he says, well, tell me your name. And this is what the angel says back to him. He says, my name is beyond understanding. I'm like, man, that's epic, isn't it? Like, a slap in the face. He's like, you couldn't handle. He's like, can tell me the name. He's like, you can't handle the name. That's what he said to him. He's like, you can't handle it. He's, you wouldn't understand it. But what happens is, is this woman becomes pregnant. 
she has a son, and they name him Samson. A pretty epic beginning to this boy's life of how he was born. Well, as he starts to grow up, um, he becomes this big, tough dude, and he picks out this girl from the Philistines. Remember the Philistines? They're the bad people. They're the tough people, the ones that aren't really part of his family. And he picks out a girl who's from that clan. It's kind of like Romeo and Juliet's story here, okay? And his dad's like, why? You know, you're supposed to be with our people. He says, no, I want that girl there. So they go to the, to the Philistines, and, and on his way to go and meet this girl, this lion jumps out, and he grabs it and tears it apart with his bare hands. It says, the spirit of the Lord came over Samson, and Samson's spiritual gift was superhuman strength, which, let's be really real, I wish that that was what God blessed me with, because that would be like the coolest spiritual ability ever, wouldn't it? When the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson, he was granted super strength. It says that this lion came out, and it says he tore him apart like a baby lamb, like just like grabbed this thing, tore it apart, limb from limb, and just destroyed this lion with his bare hands. B-A-R-E, not B-E-A-R, hands, okay? Tore him apart. Very, very tough dude. So anyways, he goes and, um, he goes and meets this, this woman. He's going to marry her. And um, when he comes back to check on her, it actually says that he stops and he went back to look at this lion. And he finds honey inside of it, which is weird. Bees apparently make uh, nests inside of dead animals. I didn't know that. But he reaches in and scoops out honey to eat it, which kids, if there's anyone younger here, don't do that. <laughs> don't eat stuff from outside of a dead animal. If, I can, if there's one tip you can take home today, I think that that is really good enough. But anyways, he goes and he meets with her, and they're going to have this big party. Because back then when they would have like a wedding, it was a big deal. People would come, they'd have days worth of parties. So he goes to meet him, and apparently Samson thought this was a really, really cool thing. This whole idea that he killed this lion, and then there was honey inside of it. So he goes and he poses a, a question to 30 new Philly brothers who are hanging out with him. And he tells these Philistines, he says, I got a, I got a riddle for you. And he says, out of the eater comes something to eat. He says, out of the strong comes something sweet. And they're like, what the heck could that mean? And he, what he does is he offers a challenge. He says, if you can guess this riddle, he says, by the end of the party, he says, I'll give you each a new set of clothes. But he says, if you can't, you have to give me 30 sets of clothes, one from each of you. So they're like, all right. So they're really working on it, working on it. They can't get it. So finally, they go to his soon-to-be bride and they tell her, if you don't tell us, we're going to be taking, you know, a fool. We're going to have to pay all this money out to him. And he says, you tell us, or we're going to come, and we're going to burn your place down. We're going to burn you up, your, your father down, all this, and stuff like that. So what does she do? Does she trust Samson? No. She goes back, and of course, she throws this big old fit. Why won't you tell me the answer to this, Samson? Obviously, you don't love me. You hate me, don't you? Those are her words from the Bible. And let me just tell you guys, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it, guys. But she does this, and it says that he won't say anything to her. He says, listen, I haven't even told my, my mom and dad. And it says that for seven days she cries. For seven days during the feast, she just weeps the whole time. Once again, guys, don't be fooled by the crocodile tears. But he is, and he's weak in that area, and he does. After seven days, he breaks, and he's like, fine. And he tells her what it is, that it's, it's honey out of a lion. Well, she goes, and she tells these guys, and they come back, and they say, oh, we got it. What's stronger than a lion? What's sweeter than honey? And I love, I love, love, love Samson's response to him. He says, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know the answer. Which that's a really, really mean way of saying, if you hadn't talked to my wife, 
You wouldn't have known, but I think at that moment he was a, a little bit mad anyway. But anyways, the Spirit of the Lord comes on Samson, and instead of going out and paying to buy 30 new sets of clothes, guess what he does, because he's Samson? He goes out and he kills 30 Philistines and steals their clothes and brings it back to pay the debt. You're talking about a pretty tough dude, right? And you're like, whoa, okay. So he pays it. He's so mad at his wife that he leaves. He goes back to his dad's house, and he doesn't even say anything to her. He leaves her before he's even finished the whole marriage ceremony, of course. He's supposed to sleep with her and consummate the marriage. He just leaves. Gone. Goes back to his dad's property. Well, her dad thinks that he has nothing to do with him, so he gives away that daughter to another man. So Samson comes back in a little while to come back and get his wife. The wife's not his anymore. Not happy. Not happy. He shows up and he says, hey, I'm here to actually take my wife finally. He says, to make her my wife. And he says, oh, well, she's gone. She says, I gave him to your, to your best man because I thought you didn't want her. He says, but you can have my younger daughter. He says, who's of marrying age as well too. She's just as beautiful. And Samson just flips out. He says, that's ridiculous. And he loses it. So he goes on this, on this streak and it says that he literally, he violently, he went out and just started attacking Philistines in the area. Just started destroying because he hated this people group because they were, they were an evil people group, Definitely. The fact that he was marrying this girl, was, it was a, bad, was a bad decision in the first place. But he goes out and he starts causing all these problems. And, and it says this, actually, that um, after he comes back and he starts beating all these people up, in Judges 15 is where the story actually takes place. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to jump down to uh, about verse 3, okay? After he gave away this, this wife to another man. Samson says this, This time I cannot be blamed for everything I am going to do to you, Philistines. Listen to this, okay? (laughs) Listen to this. He went out, caught 300 foxes. Yeah, just pause for a second. Caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together in pairs, and fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches on fire and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines, burning up all their grain on the, to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and their olive groves. Holy cow! The dude does not... Okay, like, I understand getting mad and wanting to take revenge, but this is, like, thought out. This isn't like, hey, I'm going to go out and start beating people up. He's like, I'm going to go catch 300 foxes. 300 foxes. The translation says that it actually might mean jackal, which makes more sense because jackals, I guess, run in packs, so he said it's a lot more realistic. But the dude took time to catch 300 jackals. (laughs) Then he tied their tails together, set a torch on fire, and let them destroy the entire area. That is a pretty hardcore payback, right? I mean, like, duh. The Philistines are not happy with this either. So this is what happens as the story goes on. It says that the the, uh, Philistines said this. Who did this? Samson was the reply, because his father-in-law from Timnah gave Samson's wife to be married to his best man. So the Philistines went, got the woman and her father, and, he bur- and they burned them to death. So Samson, this is even worse. He says, because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. Then he went to live in a cave near the rock of Edom. The Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah and spreading out near the town of Lehi. And the men of Judah, those are the good guys that would be on, like, actually Samson's side, asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, we've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did. So 3,000 men from Judah went down to get Samson at the cave of the rock of Edom. They said to Samson, do you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you, uh, what are you doing to us? Pause. Judah sent 3,000 men to go pick up Samson. <laughs> Did you hear that? 
This dude has a pretty epic following already. They're like, hey, go down and get Samson, but you might want to take about 3,000 guys. Because he just burned down, like, all of Philistines by catching, like, if he can catch 300 foxes, you guess maybe he could beat up 3,000 dudes, right? So anyways, 3,000 guys. Just I, When you read that, you, like, read over it, and then you're like, wait a second, 3,000 guys to come get one dude. But the men of Judah told him, we've come to tie you up and hand you back over to the Philistines. They were so scared of the Philistines that they just wanted him out of there. Because when he was there, the Philistines were coming into their territory to get him. And they said, we just want you gone. All right, Samson said, but promise that you won't kill me yourselves. He says, we will only tie you up and we'll hand you over to the Philistines, they replied. We won't kill you. So they tied him with two new ropes and brought him up uh, from the rock. As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. Okay, so obviously not a peaceful handover. As soon as they see him, they come running. Swords out, not going to go well. But the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrist. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed 1,000 Philistines with it. And then Samson says this, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. When he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone, and that place forever was known as Jawbone Hill. (laughs) That is one of the most B.A. moments in the Bible. Holy cow. The dude grabs the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand guys with it. This is like, Hollywood couldn't cast this well, okay? Like, this is like Gladiator plus 300 plus whatever, like, mixed together and then cooler. I just imagine, like, him swinging this jawbone around and just piles of dudes, like, all around. Like, my guess, like, did he work, like, in piles? Like, okay, like, there's a pile of 50, there's another pile of 50, there's, and, like, there's just literally piles of dead bodies. Or maybe perhaps it was, like, a circle. And did the 999th person have to climb over, like, a 15-foot hill of dead bodies <laughs> to get to the center where then he could club them on the head as well? I'm just like, holy cow, that is a, a, just a crazy PA moment. Wow. A thousand guys with the, the jawbone of a donkey. Wow. The series that we're, we're doing starting this week is entitled The Three Most B.A. Moments in the Bible. And of course, B.A. stands for bodaciously awesome. <laughs> and possibly something else depending on what your background is. But it's these moments in the Bible where you're like, whoa, man, that, that is just amazing. I think that when a lot of people look at the Bible, depending on what your background is, most people would think the Bible is this really boring, dull book. You know, it's this religious book, maybe just a bunch of lineages of people, a bunch of wimpy guys, just really just, man, not that interesting to read, pretty lame, but, but it's the farthest from the truth. The Bible is just amazing when you actually dig into it. The stories are shocking. There's spots in it that will, um, honestly, they'll shock you. There's spots in it that will make you cry. There's spots in it that will seriously make you blush. Um, There are these amazing stories, and you're like, wow, I never knew that it was filled with such amazing things. And it's my hope that by the end of this series, these, these three stories, I hope that you're spurred on to the fact that you can grab the Bible and read, and you will find amazing stories. Maybe it's just a little hard at first because you don't know where to look, but talk to somebody. And they can point you to stories that just, man, they're amazing. Not only that, but I'm actually going to teach from each one of these passages. There's this verse in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is Paul writing to his younger uh, follower, Timothy. 
He says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Does that mean that the story about a crazy, flexed-out hulk of a man killing a thousand dudes with the jawbone of a donkey, we can learn from and apply to our lives today? Yes. Yes, we can read a story like that, and we can apply it to our lives today. That's what's shocking about the Bible, and I'm going to prove it to you. This story, if you take a look at it, you would say, listen, I don't see how this possibly applies, okay? Um, Don't have superhuman strength. My wife wasn't just torched. I've never made 150, uh, you know, Molotov foxtails. (laughs) Funny, you get that? Yeah. Uh, I never burnt down fields. I've never slaughtered thousands of men. How in the world does this uh, apply to my life? But if we change some of the specifics, it applies very easily. Here's what I want you to, to realize from this, okay? Samson was being led through crazy circumstances, following God. And through these things, it was proven that God really was on his side. And we do the same thing in our life. We go through crazy circumstances, and we face opposition just as Samson did. And this story can have application to our lives and how it plays out. I want you to learn this today. And this is the, the main point. If you don't hear all the rest of the things, this is what I want you to learn. God will not give you everything you need. God will give you everything you need to write a BA story. He will not give you everything you need, but he will give you everything you need that when you come out of it, there is an awesome story to be said about it. Samson found himself in an extremely tough place. The dude had 3,000 guys come and get him. They tied him up, and then when he came to meet his captor, there were over 1,000 guys. My guess is, is, if I was to guess, I don't think that that army of the Philistines was 1,000 people. My guess is that about 1,000, the rest of them turned and they ran. Because they figured, 1,000, you know what? This ain't working so hot. You know, when you see like the thousands guy drop, you're just like, you know, I'm fine. I'm good. I can go home. I'm, I don't need to be a tough guy, you know. So, but he's faced with these thousand men. Man, that is a tough circumstance that he's in, tied up and bound. We have the same exact things that happen in our life, in which sometimes we find ourselves in a tough spot where our hands feel like they're tied, and we feel like we're facing a, an enemy that's way too big for us to ever take care of on our own. It's going to happen in our lives. And I think as Christians, we need to get past this because I think a lot of times as Christians, people think that we're never going to face any hard times. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. If you're a Christian, you still are going to face some hard times. It's going to come. But the difference is if you have God on your side, the story ends up radically different. The problem is that I think most of us as Christians, we pray to be immediately delivered. If there's a hard time, we pray, God, take me out of it. If there's a tough situation, God provide for it. Whatever it is, we want immediate relief from it. We don't want to have to go through it. But see, that's not biblical. For every trial, there's a story at the end of it. Is it possible that perhaps God wants to use your trial to give you a better story, to give him more glory? God will use this, um, by, use, do this excuse me, by using situations, things, or people's People that we may never have expected to be in our lives. Here's what I want you to learn from the jawbone, okay? Three things. The jawbone was present. Although it probably wasn't the best thing to take to this battle, um, it was within reach, and it was there. It was present. 
It was available. And that's the same situation sometimes where we, fe- we face an enemy. There's sometimes the best solution, but sometimes we just have to use what we have, what we have before us. And that's what he had here. God is good, and although he maybe didn't give Samson everything he needed, you see, God still provided him with something. He didn't stand there unarmed in front of a thousand men. He was given something. 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says this, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Well, that deals with temptation, but I think the same applies because, see, it says in the Bible, temptation leads to destruction. So God won't let you be stood up in front of destruction without giving you an avenue that you can go down in order to escape that destruction. In your story, God's going to put something there. And maybe it doesn't look like it's perfect, but he'll put something present that you're going to be able to grab a hold of to succeed through a test like this. Even if the reality is, and this is the second thing that the jawbone is, the jawbone is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, really, he's faced by a thousand men. And we know the fact, the reason why the Philistines had rule over top of the Hebrews at this time was because they had a military advantage. The Philistines learned how to make iron weapons. The Hebrews had not yet. So the Philistines had an upper hand, strong, durable swords. And you think if he's facing a thousand men, God would give him, right, at least like a sword, right? Or perhaps a machine gun, considering he was one to a thousand. But he doesn't. He gives him this jawbone of a donkey instead. It's ridiculous when you actually think about it. But oftentimes when we face trouble... When we face these these hard times, we pray for the easiest possible solution. The best thing we could possibly think of. I'm sure that when Samson was looking around, he's probably hoping, God, please give me a sword. Where's the sword? And all he found was was this jawbone. Oftentimes, God does not give us exactly what we ask for. Instead, he gives us something that's actually ridiculous in order to give him more glory. He did this just a few chapters before this in Judges. There was another guy named Gideon. Gideon started a battle with 32,000 men. He left out to go fight them, and he had 32,000 men, and God said, too many. You've got to cut out all these guys. He did it again. He did it again. And Gideon was left with 300 men. And God said, now you go and you fight, because when you get done, no one's going to point at you and say, what a good job. They're going to say, the only reason that guy's still alive is because God showed up. That's why God will do something that's ridiculous. Because what comes out of it is people say, wow, God must have shown up. Because if if Samson would have had five guys show up and he was given a good sword, who would have said that God showed up? It wasn't anything special. Nothing to write home about. But when a thousand men showed up and he had a jawbone, someone's like, we got to pen this down. Holy cow. Dude slaughtered a thousand men with a jawbone. It's It's memorable. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. it says this, that God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they're wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who think that they're powerful. It says he uses things that are ridiculous in order to give him more glory. Here's what it might look like. You might, face yourself, uh, you might find yourself faced with uh, a substantial bill. Say you have $1,000 worth of bills to pay at the end of the month. And you realize that this is going to be tough. And you pray, God, I need $1,000. For me to pay my bills and for me to be able to still eat, it's going to take $1,000. And you know what? God might send you 900 And maybe what you're going to be able to do is pay those bills and you're going to have to stop and say, I don't have enough money to eat right now. And in that moment, 
It seems ridiculous. But then God comes through and someone who's a a family member or a friend steps up and says, you know what? I was just thinking of you. I thought, why don't we go out for dinner or they make you a meal or they take care of you. Or maybe you call someone else who's a friend in the church and you say, you know what? I can't make ends meet this week. Is there any way that we could share some food for this week? And see, God doesn't give that thousand because the reality is, is that 900 might bring a better story. And sometimes those plans, they don't look as good to us, but they're better in God's eyes. They do more for us. They accomplish more in us. Maybe it's because the reality is if you had that thousand, you wouldn't ask for any help and you keep that pride built up inside you. But he gives you the 900 so you can break it down and you can say, you know what, I'm not too, I'm not too proud to say I need help this week. I can't make it. God will do stuff like that to make sure because he knows what we need, not what we want. That's what he gives us. When it doesn't make perfect sense and seems to be a little bit crazy, it's probably because it's God's plan. Probably because it's God's plan. It won't be the easiest, but it will bring God glory. The jawbone was present. The jawbone was ridiculous. But third, we can't forget, the jawbone was successful. It worked. It worked. It may not have looked like the best thing that could have shown up, but it worked. Samson killed a thousand guys with it. It turned out okay. And if we trust God through these situations, through these times where we face these, these armies that are coming against us, if we trust God, it'll be successful. Even though it looks like it's not going to work out, it will. Romans 8.28 says this. It says that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him. God says that He works out all the details. If you trust him, he works out all those details. He's not going to let you be destroyed. And maybe it's going to look a little ridiculous, but if you trust him and you do your best with it, you're going to come through and be successful, I promise you. God gave Samson the strength. God gave Samson the jawbone. Maybe he gave him the time to be able to actually do this, the, the energy to be able to do it. And God will take you through these times where you're faced by a great force, And you look at your resources and you think, this isn't enough. Maybe this is a little ridiculous. But the reality is, out of that is what causes this story. Here's what I I want us to believe, okay? Like I said, God does not give us everything we need. We need to get out of that as Christians. He's not. He gives us everything we need in order to create a BA story. There's going to be times where you're not going to have everything you need as a Christian. And that's the reality. Some people will try to preach a message. You, know, you believe in Jesus, everything's just going to be roses. It's not. That's a lie. Because when you look through the Bible, there's people who faithfully followed, but there were still hard times in their life. And the reason is because without those trials, no one would care to read about Samson's life. Would you read about Samson if he was an average man born, faced no opposition, never did anything, everything worked out perfectly, never did anything? Boring. Boring life. But see, when we read a life that faced great opposition, someone like Samson, who was born into greatness, did amazing things, was faced. Think about that lion. Think about the Philistines, how many times he faced danger and how close he probably came to death time and time again. But out of that is where these stories are born, where people say, man, you got to hear that guy's story. It'll change your life. It'll make you something new. And that's what I'm saying is that God will not give you everything you need, but he will give you everything you need in order to get through it and at the end have a BA story that not just gives you credit, but it gives God credit. And they say, man, God was present with that man. Something changed. Something happened. 
we know that it wasn't easy for Samson. If you read on in Judges, actually, it says this. After all this happened, it says that in 18, Samson was now very thirsty. I would assume he just killed a thousand men with his hands in a jawbone, right? And he cried out to the Lord, you've accomplished this great victory by my strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? And my guess is it wasn't just like he's thirsty. He was dying thirsty. He fought for probably hours beating dudes up, and he was about ready to collapse. So God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi, and Samson was revived as he drank. Then he named that place the spring of the one who cried out, and it's still in Lehi to this day. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. There's going to be hard times you face. Samson did it. Even that great victory took a great toll on him, exhausted him. But when he cried out for God, he was met by God. His needs were met. And even some of us, I'm telling you, if you follow God for a while, you'll even see moments like this. I mean spring out of rock type moments. Moments that you can say, this is only God. And I guarantee you that if you keep following, you do it. There'll be times where it'll be really, really scary. And when you come through, you say, the only reason that worked is God. And maybe even some of you will see miracles just like Samson, where you see water come from a rock. You see a a check magically appear to take care of finances. You see a, a medical test magically changed before your eyes because the God of the universe stepped in. These BA stories, they take place in our lives too. If we find ourselves surrounded by a thousand men with nothing but a jawbone to grab onto, we need to trust the Lord because he's going to take us through it so that he can gain glory and then people are going to say, man, remember that story. People are going to look at your stories in your life and be encouraged by them. Like I said, if Samson never faced the challenges, we'd never remember his name and the same thing happens in us. Our trials turn into testimonies. Our struggles turn into stories. And they can change others' lives. If you want God to write an amazing story in your life, what it comes down to is simply trusting him with it. Trusting him with your life. And for those of us who maybe started a relationship with Jesus, what that looks like is believing and trusting God with your day-to-day. In times where you face these giants, you know what I mean, surrounded by a thousand men, that you trust God and you believe that I know that he's going to take me through it. It might not look perfect, it might not look easy, but I believe that he's going to take me through it by what his scripture says. But also there's people who've never even experienced salvation. And that's step one of trusting God. I mean, the story, it, it goes back to the fact that Samson believed in God and trusted him. And that goes back for all of us, as well as, as Christians here on earth. The Bible makes it really clear. It says that basically in, in, in Romans 6.23, it says that, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a beautiful and simple verse. It says that us, when we live on this earth, we sin. And that's just falling short of God's glory. Let's be honest. Every one of us have done that. He says every one of us has sinned, but the problem is, is in this universe, when you sin, at the end of your life, your life has to pay for that sin by you dying and going into that eternal death So it says that God is so miraculous that he found a loophole in the system and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to live on this earth a perfect life and then to die. But see, when Jesus went to die, he couldn't die because he had no sin. So he had to carry someone else's sin to the cross. And since he was perfect, it says that he carried all of the world's sin to the cross. He says, now if you trust in me 
and you accept me taking your sin to the cross, you'll be saved. And at the end of your life, you will not have to face death, but instead you will face eternal life. That's step one of trusting the Lord with all these situations. I want you guys to bow your heads for a minute. I always like to give people opportunities because the reality is we don't know how long we have here on earth. And I never want to let an opportunity slip by. So I just want to do this. Just two opportunities for you this morning. First and foremost, if you say, listen, I have never trusted Jesus with my life. I have no relationship with him. And I know I have no security that if I was to, to pass away, that I, where I'm going, I really don't know. And if that's you this morning, just really simply, everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed. All I need you to do is open your eyes, raise your hand, and look at me. They say, you know what, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord. Yeah, I see your hand. Anyone else this morning say, you know what, I need to get this figured out. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I need to trust him with my life. Anyone else this morning? Okay, and second, for you guys to say, you know what, I I know Jesus. If this morning it's your heart that you say, listen, I want to trust Jesus with these circumstances. It's very possible, even in a group that's our size, there's probably someone sitting in this audience right now that's facing this thousand people. That this morning, this isn't a, a story of something in the future or something in the past, but the reality is, is this story is today. This story is right now is where you think you find yourself in spiritually. And if that's you and you say, you know what, um, I, I need to trust God. I got circumstances right now that are tough. Go ahead and raise up your hand and look at me real quick. Yeah, I see you guys. Anyone else? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can go ahead and bow your heads. And for the rest of you guys, too, if you say, you know what, I want to in the future, you join in this prayer with them. I'm going to pray specifically for these people here who... Um, they're in that circumstance at this moment. And if it's your prayer, too, that you want to start living that life, you pray this, too, in your, in, in your heart. And I don't need you guys to pray out loud, but I'm going to pray for you, and you echo this in your heart, okay? Jesus, I thank you so much for being so good. And God, for the fact that we can see by your Bible that you do take care of us in moments where we are faced by enemies that we can't possibly handle. You're there You provide something, God, even if it doesn't look like it's perfect. And Jesus, we trust you that you're going to take us through this. And even if it's hard, we know that the reason why it is is because coming out the other side, which we trust you for a victory, we know that what it's going to do is it's going to leave us with an amazing story and it's going to bring you more glory. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, for you guys here, for you uh, who raised your hand and wanted to uh, commit your life to Christ, I'll just talk to you after service. I'd love to pray with you uh, personally. And um, for the rest of you guys this week, go out there this week and change the world. Trust God in your circumstances and the giants you face. And come back next week as we continue to talk about the most BA moments in the Bible. Next week will shock you a little bit.